Thank you, Eric. I would say I say thank you on behalf of the church for your busy morning, and thank you, Anderson family. Well, this morning, we find ourselves in a very familiar text. By way of context, I will read John 3.16 through 21. Follow along with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this week that was to bask in the glory of a Savior, the Messiah, the King, who came as a baby to save us from our sins. And Lord, we pray that that glory would continue even to this morning and even now as we get to share in this text. Would you be glorified, God? For this task that is called preaching, may we hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is the last day of 2023, is it not? Well, as we get the gather here together to conclude this wonderful year, our conclusion, I want to speak about beginnings, and that is the beginning for the Christian, every Christian's first beginning, that precious hour when we first believed. Well, that is the monumental task before us this morning, is to share out of this monumental verse, John three sixteen. Obviously, this is not unfamiliar to us. In fact, this is the most well-known verse in all of Scripture. Perhaps you may have heard it for the first time as as a little one. Maybe it was your your parents who, if you were to memorize a verse, you were going to start with John 3.16. If you work down in a Awana, you know that the cubby and, and the sparks, that is their starting place. Let's learn John 3.16 together. Additionally, if you've been on some of the outreaches with us, if, if you are a Gideon, if you've even picked up a Gideon Testament, one of those little pocket Bibles, just turn over to the first few pages and you'll see 
John 3.16. Not only will you see John 3.16, you will see it in 26 different languages. It is the most well-known of all texts. I would even go further to say that at probably some point in our nation's history, it has very much kind of been even a, a cultural sign of some sorts. I think back uh, to the time, it was probably 1997 or 1998, and my uncle took me to the Oakland Coliseum, home of the Oakland Raiders. There is very little I remember about that game other than that the rain was coming sideways, mixed with sleet and pelting me on the face. I know that the Raiders did beat the Seahawks. And then lastly a green neon sign contained within the end zone at Oakland Coliseum with the wording John 3.16. That individual was brave enough to go amongst Raider Nation into the black hole and to hold up that sign once a field goal was kicked. It is good. John 3.16. We know it. It's familiar to us. Well, you know, that's the great joy about this morning, is that the joy of sharing to you this great and wonderful verse. However, with that said, there is also a great danger. It is very familiar to us. And what we tend to really know well, sometimes it's difficult for us to focus and zero in on what is being said. I can say that that was the same for me. I remember uh, 13 years ago, roughly, 13, 14 years ago, when I I felt that God was calling me to go and preach the gospel. I remember I met with a pastor, and uh, the opportunity had come about to share the gospel at the Lighthouse Mission at their chapel service. They were in need of a speaker every night. I said, that sounds interesting. It's a good way to share the gospel. And I met with this pastor, and and I said, I need help for my first sermon. What should I preach on? And he said, you know what? John 3.16 is not a bad place to start. However, I was stubborn. In fact, I am stubborn still. And for some reason, I thought that that was too easy of a task to go with a verse that was too well known. Instead of, I chose an obscure text out of Hebrews and completely botched that sermon. It was the next sermon I spoke out of John 3.16. Well, what is my goal this morning to the church, to us? Well, you see, John 3.16, right, that verse alone, it screams gospel. You hold up John 3.16 and you hold up the gospel and the two go hand in hand. There is no clearer verse in all of Scripture that paints the gospel so clearly than this verse. And you know what? John 3.16 is is not just for the cubby. It's not just for the spark. It's not just for the new believer. It's not just for that lost soul on the street. It's for us. It's for us, and we need it every day. It's the daily gospel. We need to remind ourselves And that's what my desire is for this morning. 
for us to grasp this daily gospel and to love it and to preach it to ourselves. Well, just by way of a broader context, and we're not going to focus too much on that, but it was that man by the name of Nicodemus, ruler of the Pharisees, teacher of the Jews, that came to Jesus and really asked him that question. And, of course, our Lord knew that question before even Nicodemus asked it. How can a man be born again? So this fits right in the middle of this 21-verse word from our Lord to Nicodemus. It is our word as well. How can man become right with God? Well, first we must understand and know about the gospel is that it is for the church. It, it is for the church. How do I know that? Well, if you open up your New Testament and you will see the, uh, the Apostle Paul, he proclaims this time and time again. First to the, the Romans, Romans 1.15. I am so eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul was eager to preach the gospel. You know they heard it, but he wanted to preach it again. To the Corinthians, chapter 15, 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Corinthians, you're struggling, you're involved with sin. Let me remind you again of the gospel. What about to the Ephesians? Well, Paul proclaims in chapter 3, verse 6, this mystery, this, this unfolded mystery that is before us, which is the gospel. This is what Paul says to them. You are to be partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is the mystery, and embrace the mystery of the gospel and continue to be partakers of the gospel. To the Thessalonians, chapter 1, 2 through 9, Paul would say, we labored not in vain. And what were they laboring for? What was Paul and his companions laboring for? While we proclaim the gospel to you, they labored for the gospel. A repeat of this well-known message again and again. You know, it was the Galatians, as you might know, who fell away from that true gospel. They departed to another gospel, in the words of Paul. And he said, let those, there is no other gospel. There's one true gospel. And accursed are those who try to preach something different. One true gospel, Galatians. So that's what we also need to remind ourselves of. That it is for the church. It is for us. And we need to know this daily. Moving into 2024, we need to know this daily. Well, let me also remind you of what the gospel is. One, the gospel is the power of God. David Bile just mentioned it, Romans 1.16. Right? It is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says it is the power of God. Did you know that the gospel the only message, the, the only message in all of Scripture that is described as the power 
of God. Nothing else is. Just the gospel. Only given that description as the power of God. Well, why is it so powerful? If you just examine, examine John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. The power of the gospel saves us from perishing. That's good news. Because if you know your scripture, you know that, that man, right, we were destined for destruction. We have unbelieving hearts. We were headed for God's wrath. But it, it was the power of the gospel that removed us from that path of destruction and put us on the path of righteousness. Should not perish. Should not perish. The NIV says, shall not perish. The NASB says, will not perish. Whether it should not or will not or shall not, it all remains the same. We will not perish by believing upon the gospel. You know, additionally, we could say that's enough, right? We won't perish in our sins. We won't be separated from God forever. But, but more than that, right, reading the, the rest of that, should not perish. What goes after that? But have eternal life. Have, it's, it would be enough. It would be more than enough for us not to have our sins counted against us. But no, it goes even beyond that. But through the power of God, we now have eternal life. Just think about that for a moment, right? We're sitting here on the last day, 2023. Just sitting here. And we know that there's much cares in the world. We know some of us came in here with a very heavy weight on our shoulder this morning. But you know, through the gospel, not only are your sins forgiven, you will not be punished eternally, but you will have eternal life forever and ever and ever and ever with God. Man, what a glorious truth. Eternity is a long time, right? Oh, what a glorious truth. You know, we might think that when we think of the term power, we might think of creation. I think it's probably pretty common that that comes to our mind. Just look at a couple of verses about God's creation. It says in Psalm 65, You, O God, form the mountains by your power. It said in Job 9, You, God, who commands the sun... You look at the earth and all that there is, the, the stars, the moon, the sun, and you're like, well, that's power. And you might even look beyond that. You might even look about the intricacies of creation. You know, our, our Lord said this to Job in, in Job 38, and I kind of wonder why he brought this about, but I, as I further contemplate it, and I think I know why, he told Job that he brings the rain on the land where there is no man to satisfy the waste and desolate land. Why would he tell Job that? I think he's showing Job that he is powerful and he has thought about all the intricate de details of creation. Why does he send the rains to the Sahara? Well, maybe it's just to satisfy the lips of the leaping gazelle, 
to satisfy him with an with a ounce of water, an animal that he has created that can go nearly a whole lifetime without water. Perhaps he had sent that rain to aliven that thorny bush upon which the African silverbill can stay perched upon and look out. A bush that just needs the tiniest amount of water to survive, but he cares for that bird. What about the power of the mountains? We see the mountains, we see Mount Baker, we see other hills and mountains. You ever think to wonder that contained within those mountains are ore and gold and silver, other precious materials? What about under those mountains? There's coal beds all over. This, this little tiny combustible rock can heat a stove. It, it can create fuel. It cre- generates electricity. But what about the sun? Right, he commands the sun. He put it up there 93 million miles away. Maybe you've heard this. If he brought it a little bit closer or a little bit further, we'd all freeze or burn up. The intricate details of creation, we say, that's power. Not more power than when he saves a sinner from his sin. When he gives us understanding, right? For those who are in Christ, what does it describe us as? As a new creation. We've been given new life. New purpose. In fact, that very wise man, Nicodemus, he was the teacher of the Jews. And Jesus said to him, do you not understand? Right? You cannot be smart enough to understand the power of the gospel unless God enables that. Smartest man and probably of all the Jews, most educated. Didn't understand the gospel. Because it is the power of God that alivens the mind, alivens the heart to receive it and thus change. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 says this, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power. It's powerful. It's powerful. Number two, the gospel is sufficient. You know, it's sufficient for our understanding to know who God is. You know, that great chapter out of Colossians, chapter 1, Paul unfolds the preeminence of Christ. And he told them, these believers, to look at Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And how did he tell them how to do that? How they were to continue to look at the preeminence of Christ. This is what he says in Colossians 1.23. Don't shift from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Do you want to know who Christ is? His power, the firstborn of all creation. Don't graduate beyond the gospel. Always hold firm to the gospel. Always know and love the gospel. It is also sufficient to call us to believe. John 3, 16, that whoever believes, believes. Maybe we we look back at a time when we believed, past tense. That is good to look at. Maybe you believed when you were at Awana sometime and it was your leader that led you, or at another time. Maybe as a new believer, you stepped foot in the church and you heard the gospel for the first time and and you believed some crusade or something. Or maybe it was some Gideon that handed you a scripture and you read it and and you believed. 
It's good to look at the past and, and believe, in fact, but actually some Christians don't even know that first hour when they first believe. That's not uncommon either. But notice here in John 3, 16, believes. The, the, the main question is, are you still believing? It's sufficient, right? It's sufficient, but to still believe upon this, even today, right now, to believe upon it today and tomorrow and the next day until the coming of our great king, or if we go back to be with him, it is sufficient because this belief came with a great payment, right? He gave his only son. Christ has given us this wonderful gospel, but also with that payment. We celebrated that last week in Christmas, his only begotten son. This ransom for many that he sent, we, we celebrate Oh, it's sufficient enough because it's God's greatest gift. And notice that it is, it is he that is worthy to be praised because the belief, we're believing in him, but he's doing all the work. It's sufficient because it is Christ who is working in us, not us who are working out our salvation. It is all of Christ, sufficient, because he is the one that is doing it. It is further sufficient because it will complete us, right? You know, the gospel is completing us. Philippians 1.6, the Lord will carry it out until it's day of completion, right? Sufficiency. He's going to carry us through. Not, not we ourselves, but it is Christ. We also need the gospel daily. The gospel is, number three, the freedom from sin. Freedom from sin, right? Sin no longer holds us captive. The gospel, remember, that goes back, we were, we were destined for wrath, right? We were about to perish, but he removed us from perishing by the gospel. So we are now free from sins. Romans 6, 14, for sin will no longer have dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And you know, there's still a couple of ways that, that, that sin can hold us captive. And that's why we need to remember the gospel every day. Here's a couple of examples. You know, sin can hold us captive by looking a, about those who sinned against us from years past. Maybe it was the wrongs that were done to us as a child, as a teenager. Maybe it was an ex-spouse. Some sort of traumatic event that we experienced growing up. And, and we, we ponder and, and feel defeated by that sin that was unjustly committed against us. We are not held captive by sin any longer, including those who wanted to mistreat us. We can also find ourselves captive by sin when we look at our past failures, the inability to overcome certain sins. And then we, we struggle and we try, but we, fall, we fail again. And we, we try some more. And we, we just feel that we can never overcome it. We'll see if we remind ourselves of the gospel that we are free from sin. This is what Romans 6.18 says. We have been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. 
See, the gospel reminds us that our Lord nailed our sins and all the wrongs committed to the cross. And he put it there. And now we have been called to, as a new creature, to be free from sin. And then what do we, now we are slaves of righteousness. Right before the gospel, we were bound in chains, set in a prison cell and just awaiting destruction. But the power of the gospel, right, it, it has set us free through that. And now we are desirous, a longing to do what is right in God's eyes. To follow his way. And we, when we remember the gospel in it, and we are free from sin, we can say, Lord, not in my strength, but in yours. Praise be to God, I'm free from sin. The sins that will not be counted against me. You know, additionally, freedom from sin re- reminds us that we are not condemned. In, in fact, our Lord says this, uh, uh, John, uh, John three eighteen. whoever believes in him is not condemned. Right? We're not condemned. And, and can this allow us to run with a confidence and, and a purpose as, as a Christian to say, man, I, I can serve the Lord in this, this confidence, trusting Him for all the uncertainties of life and not remembering the, the past failures or either that I've done or that others have done to me. I can run with this boast, not in self, but in Christ. The gospel also, number four, keeps us humble. The gospel keeps us humble. Where is our boasting, right? There is no boasting in self. Because he was the one that gave it. It was through his grace, this gospel of grace. It is free, unmerited favor. Right? While we were still in our trespasses, Christ died for us. That should humble us above all things. You know, this, uh, reading the commentary on, on John 3.16 this week, I love this, this quote. Pride wilts in the atmosphere of the gospel. Shrivels up. Because it is, it is Christ. Let me just give you a, a picture of this. Right? So we, we see here, just, just examining John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. Right? God gave his son. And then what did Christ do for us? He gave of himself. And then even further beyond that, in addition to giving of himself, did he just leave the believer abandoned? No, He gave of the Holy Spirit. You almost see the Trinity working together within this beautiful verse of the gospel. God gave, His Son gave, the Holy Spirit is giving. All of them, give, give, give. Wow, what a grace, what what a gift. This Holy Spirit that that cleanses us and purifies us, it, it guides us in all truth, it's evidence of God's presence, directs His people It illuminates our hearts. It unifies the church. So, we don't have room for pride when we look at the gospel. It's humbling to see what our Lord did for us. And And when we think about what we deserve and how wretched we are, it strips us 
of that pride. Pride in self is removed. Boast in Christ is elevated. Because the hell we deserve has been exchanged for a heavenly kingdom. Praise be to God for that. Well then, and lastly, the gospel reminds us to love. The most very well known for God so loved the world. So loved the world. And you know, it wasn't because of anything that we did that was extraordinary. 1 John 4.10, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us first. We didn't even have a desire for God. Our, our human hearts in their natural sinful state don't naturally gravitate towards Him. God so loved the world. He, he, he loved us. You know, and the gospel is a, a daily reminder. Number one, it's first and foremost to love God. Now, I know that that's an, an easy slogan or an easy saying. I think most of us say we love God. But even to think, how do we love God? Thanking Him for the gospel. Thanking for what He has done for us. This, this wonderful sacrifice. You know, it was Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. He says this, Being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves. You see, the Apostle Paul loved the Lord Jesus so much. And then there becomes this outflow. Love of God, love of the gospel created this desirous affection for the church. That's why he could labor amongst the Thessalonians, the Corinthians, the Romans, and on and on. Because he loved Christ, he loved the gospel. It was the outpouring. And, and the very best that he said he could bring to the people was the gospel. His love for God was so much that the best that he could give was exactly that, the gospel. Because it is the foundation, the starting point of the Christian faith. Now think about it this morning. You, you have this perfect gift, the gospel. Don't keep it here. When's the last time you shared the gospel with your kids? Or your wife? Or yourself? To, re, to re, waking up one morning and say, thank you God for the gospel. I think this is a two-part thing. If we look at Paul's verse out of 1 Thessalonians 2.8, it's not only that he wanted to share with them the gospel. He wanted to tell them. And that is true. That's exactly what our Lord did, right? He, he told that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He told people that he is. Believe upon him. That is the gospel. Paul wanted to do that as well. But look what also. He wanted to give them the gospel, but also he said, ourselves. I'm going to give you the message, but I'm also going to give you myself, my time, my energy, my resources. You see, the gospel reminds us also to love in practical ways, not only in word, but in deed. 
And that was exactly the, the perfect example of, of practicality when all the things that our Lord taught, He demonstrated by dying on the cross. Everything that He said finally came to its fruition by actually doing it. Sacrificing Himself. And this is the Christian life, right? To, to speak these words, but also to do them. And notice that our Lord loved, look what was attack, the attacks that came to Him. When he was scorned and mocked and ridiculed and lied about and hated and spat upon and beaten and killed. He loved. While they were still in their sin. While we were still in our sin. And that's what the the Christian life is too. It's it's going through this life. People that are going to be mean to us. You're not even probably going to be able to make it to the first day of the new year where someone has disappointed you or said something unkind, or maybe feeling a little bit let down. You see, when you look to the gospel, you see what our Lord endured. You know, He is calling us at the same time. We have to endure the same things. But His response was, was not to get back. It was, He loved them. And I, I'll be honest, these hurts will come from within the church and from outside. And if we love our Lord God, if we love the Lord Jesus, then our response will not be to get back. It will be to a sacrifice of love, to again teach ourselves the gospel, to teach others the gospel, and to live as a living sacrifice, a life pleasing to God. You know, I I thought about the loving power of the gospel. I I, I was reading uh, this past week or so um, about a missionary, and, and maybe many of you know him, Hudson Taylor. And he had this desire, right, born in, in England, trained in the medical field. He had this desire to go and share the gospel with the remotest regions of China. In fact, he was the, the founder of the China Inland Mission. And as I'm reading this, this is a short biography. I'm flipping through the pages. It's amazing the work that was happening in China. Where there was just a couple of missionaries to start, and then it began to turn into hundreds, and eventually to thousands, reaching all the provinces, and and moving inland, and, and further inland. But you know the amazing thing to me, as I read this, It was not that his zeal for just expanding the outreach of the gospel. It was his response in trial. You know, it was probably halfway into his missionary journeys that he married a a woman named Maria. They had seven children together. And it was about eight years in that his first daughter, at the age of eight, died from disease. Devastated, no doubt. Well, a couple years later, after that grieving, his son Samuel, age six, died of disease. And when you thought that possibly would be enough, Four months after that, his wife was pregnant. 
and his 13-day-old newborn passed away, and then three days later, his wife. And you see devastation. You see devastation. How can a man pick himself up after that? It was the gospel. It was the gospel. It propelled him not to to yell and to call it quits, but to love. And why did he love so much? Because he knew that contained within China there were millions who have never heard. Millions who have never heard. He said, Lord, go before me. Trials behind me. Help me, dear Lord. You know what, church? That's why the gospel must never grow old. Why John 3.16 must never grow old. Because there are millions upon billions of people who have never heard. Who have never heard this great message. Perhaps today you need to share it with an unknown person. To hear it for the first time. Perhaps maybe it's just to share the gospel again with a loved one who has heard it but needs to hear it again. Or maybe even then this morning. To say it to ourselves again. For the first time. Praise be to God. You know what? A church that is committed to the gospel. Will not only love our Lord. But we will love each other. We, we will stay united. Because the purpose is to serve Christ. And the advancement of his kingdom. Talk about unity of a church. If we are gospel minded. There can be no more unifying message than that. Lord is building his church. Right Emmanuel? Lord is building His church. Praise be to God. Be part of that joy and that privilege by reminding ourselves the gracious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and preaching John 3.16 to ourselves each day. Let us pray. Father God, we just thank You, Lord, for the sufficiency, for the power for the freedom from sin, for the love that it gives us for one another, that it might humble us, Lord. We thank you for this message. Would it never grow old? Renew it in our heart this new year. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.